Hello everyone, welcome to our daily charity podcast. Podcasts for Charities, an initiative brought up by Wenity. We are happy to be with you today, as we will guide you through a selection of articles about the latest news on charity organization. We will start with Kendra, who will read us the first article. California's food bank scrappling with a tsunami of need as pandemic grows. An article in The Guardian written by Mani Singh on the 3rd of April 2020 at the early stage of the outbreak in the U.S. Thank you, Matthew. On a bright spring afternoon, hundreds of cars snaked up and down the parking lot in front of a community college in the industrial suburb of Pittsburgh, California. One by one, students, teachers, young families and groups of elderly neighbors pulled up to visit a makeshift emergency food bank. To minimize the risk of spreading coronavirus, workers from the food bank asked drivers to pop open their trunks so they could drop in a sack of produce and a box of pantry staples. This is my first time ever coming to a food bank, said Dahlia Garcia, as she drove through in an SUV with her husband, baby and mother. I didn't need it before, she said as she collected a flyer explaining how to sign up for the state food benefits program. The pandemic put the 26-year-old hairdresser out of work. I found out this was happening on Facebook, and I'm glad it's here, she said. A few cars down, Terry Birdzool, 59, agreed. This is really needed, she said. There's nothing at the stores. And if there is, it's only the most expensive stuff left over. The event was organized by the Food Bank of Contra Costa and Solano, part of the National Feeding America Network of Food Charities, to meet a sudden, unprecedented need. The demand for food aid has increased as much as eightfold in some areas, according to an investigation by The Guardian. In California, despite efforts from federal and state governments to free up emergency food stores and mobilize the National Guard to pack and distribute groceries, advocates worry about keeping a pace as the logistics of feeding the hungry become more complicated. When Leslie Bacho and the staff at the Second Harvest Food Bank in California's Bay Area developed a disaster plan not too long ago, they planned for a big earthquake, widespread wildfires and other natural disasters. Global pandemic was not even on the list of what we were thinking about, Bacho said. What we're facing right now is truly unprecedented. After a natural disaster, local food banks are usually able to call upon other charities, based in unaffected areas, to send staff and supplies, she said. But everybody is facing this pandemic at the same time, she added. Even before coronavirus hit California, Second Harvest was aggressively fundraising, in order to feed the hundreds of thousands of families struggling to survive in one of the most expensive regions of the U.S. Now, she said, it's really like a tsunami of need suddenly hitting. Across the state, food banks said they were scrambling to meet the need, even as the pandemic and distancing measures to mitigate the spread of disease created hurdles. Grocery stores and food manufacturers, which routinely donate excess produce and staples, are now giving less food, due to higher demands from consumers stockpiling, said Paul Ash, executive director of the San Francisco Marin Food Bank. We're probably going to have to buy more food than we would, he said. The costs of certain staples are rising as well. As Americans hunker down and stock up their larders, the wholesale price of common Midwest large eggs was triple what it was in early March. Such cost increases have already hit food banks, which are depleting their budgets as they buy more to keep up with demand. National Guard troop soldiers bag food that will be delivered to people in need at the Find Food Bank amid the coronavirus crisis in Indio, California. 
We are ramping up our purchasing, and we're buying in bulk, said Michael Altfest, at the Alameda County Food Bank, which serves parts of the East Bay region. Right now what we need is money. Distributing the food has also proved to be a challenge, as soup kitchens and free pantries across the country close down. Many of these distribution sites were based at schools, which have now been shut. On day one of school closures, we lost access to 45 distribution sites, said Ash. Some of those schools have allowed food banks to use the grounds to set up food distribution center. But still, we have been scrambling to provide alternate sites and publicize the information, he said. Another reason for the closures is a lack of volunteers. The seniors and retirees who normally pitch in have been told to shelter at home to avoid contracting coronavirus. Corporate groups and students, who would often show up in big groups to help out, are unable to volunteer as much, with colleges shut and companies mandating that staff work from home, Ash said. In response to volunteer shortages in California, the governor, Gavin Newsom, enlisted the state's National Guard to help food banks package food for distribution. But staff at the state's largest food banks said they were worried about how they would keep up with thousands who had never needed assistance before. The thing is we don't know how long we'll have this help, said Cassidy Carmen Bates at the food bank of Contra Costa and Solano. And with that demand growing so quickly, we don't know how much longer we'll be able to put out food at this rate. Guardsmen had helped pack the weighty box that Roxana Samioa, 38 struggled to carry back home after stopping by the emergency distribution center in Pittsburgh. I never thought we'd need food like this, said Samayoa. She came to the U.S. from El Salvador a year ago, along with her husband and three children, fleeing violence. We were professionals there. My husband was a lawyer, and I a teacher, she said in Spanish. Now, her husband, who had been working as a gardener, has been put out of work. And the preschool where she'd been helping out has closed. I came here seeking safety, she said. But now I don't feel safe. Passing on to you Matthew for the second article. Thank you. Moving on to the second article. How Restaurateurs Finds Meaning by Giving Back During the Pandemic, by Omar Mamoun in the San Francisco Chronicle. When shelter-in-place orders were announced March 16, Paul Einbund was unsure whether to temporarily close his Mission District restaurant. The Morris. I've been stressing a lot about whether or not we should be open, even for takeout and delivery, Einbund says. He adds that while there are lots of upsides to staying open, the downside is the safety risk for his employees, which is the most important consideration. But working with SF New Deal, a new organization that purchases meals from restaurants and partners with community organizations to deliver them to the elderly, the unhoused and less fortunate during the pandemic, gave Einbund his raison d'etre. Knowing that we are feeding human beings that might otherwise go hungry makes that decision easier. We must help and we must do what we can. And what we do is feed people, now more than ever before. A number of new organizations like SF New Deal have popped up during the pandemic to help restaurants stay operational by feeding healthcare workers or those in need. East Bay Feeder connects restaurants with local hospital workers and first responders on the receiving end, Frontline Foods, in partnership with World Central Kitchen also provides meals to healthcare workers. The state initiative High Roads Kitchen is similar, with the caveat that participating restaurants must also promise to provide livable wages for workers. Generally, the organization raises funds so restaurants can buy ingredients and hire workers, 
and then connects them to organizations that feed the community. It's hard to find a local restaurant that hasn't taken part or created its own similar program. For many, these organizations provide much more than a steady stream of income, they provide meaning. It really fits in with our ethos, we are a community restaurant, says Sarah Kernan of Missalis in Oakland, who has been working with the organization off their plate to provide 100 to 160 meals a week to healthcare workers at Highland Hospital, San Leandro Hospital and other hospitals. Christian Sissel, who operates the pop-up SF Chicken Box out of a bar in Soma, says working with SF New Deal, which was originally funded by a $1 million investment from Twitch CEO Emmett Shear has been crucial to sustaining his business. Thank you. It enables businesses to pay the bills and put people back on payroll, he says. Sissel also finds the work more rewarding than making food for tech company meetings, like his restaurant did before shelter in place. The people he's feeding now actually need to be fed. Sissel always tried to give back even before the pandemic. He's run an annual chicken wing eating contest over the past decade to raise funds for local nonprofits like Homeless Youth Alliance and Youth Advocate Huckleberry House. There's so much money in disparity, and it's ridiculous not to take that money from people and use it for people who need it, Sissel says. Sissel and Einbund also see the decision to stay open as playing a role in keeping up the supply chain of purveyors and farmers. By feeding those in need, they are able to order from their vendors and support the immediate food community. Although it took a pandemic to force such solutions to food insecurity, the bright side is that it shows solutions can be found. What remains to be seen is whether these programs disappear once things start to normalize. Murad Lilo, owner of Aziza and Murad in San Francisco, hopes not. One of his primary drivers for working with SF New Deal is that it allows him to employ his undocumented workers. A lot of people on my staff are getting unemployment right now and getting money from the stimulus package. But the people who got really F, are the undocumented workers. Those are the ones who have been paying taxes, paying into unemployment funds, but once the pandemic started these people couldn't apply for unemployment, he says. Providing meals directly to the needy has also changed the way Lalo looks at food. Lalo, whose financial district restaurant, Mrod, has earned Michelin stars and was recently nominated for a James Beard Award for Best Chef, California, cooks elevated Moroccan cuisine through a California lens. There are tweezers and smears and caviar. He admits that type of cooking can be disconnecting, we're not grounded anymore when you just cook for a certain type of person. But the work he's been doing has recentered him, when you cook for people in shelters, it gives you a different perspective on what it means to cook food. Lolo immigrated to San Francisco after graduating high school without speaking English or having any experience in a professional kitchen. He started cooking because he missed his home country of Morocco. Cooking through the pandemic has brought him back to the reason he started cooking in the first place. This is what food and a meal is supposed to do to people, sustain them and bring them happiness, he says. It's not about impressing anyone or the accolades, it's about helping people smile, survive and feel food secure. Again back to you for the last article. Thank you. The impact the coronavirus is having on the Haiti race fundraising. An article written by Will Graves published in May 25, 2020. The 27-year-old had envisioned something more tropical when she signed up to participate in her second run across Haiti, an ambitious eight-day, 200-mile tour of the impoverished Caribbean nation sponsored by the non-profit organization Work. 
Instead of celebrating with more than 30 others from across North America who raised north of $200,000 to make the journey to run and to get a first-hand look at work's mission, the end for Reek came as she neared her house in decidedly non-tropical Bellingham, Washington, on May 13. Sonoma County Sheriff says he will stop enforcing stay-at-home health order. Her boyfriend blasted an air horn as she hit the wire, her run over. Then she joined a Google Hangout so other members of the far-flung group could join in the party after the trip to Haiti was called off due to the COVID-19 pandemic. It was definitely bittersweet, said Rika, who stressed it was still very special in its own way. And maybe a new normal. There are other complications for nonprofits and charities beyond stay-at-home orders and travel issues. For organizations that rely on participatory recreation events like the run across Haiti or the 5K at your local park, the concern is twofold. How do you safely conduct these events in the era of social distancing? And how do you go about seeking money for a cause, any cause, when millions are out of work and people are literally dying by the thousands? Reek has collected more than $4,000 this spring to help work, which is focused on helping Haitian families emerge from poverty in a sustainable way. That effort that isn't going away anytime soon regardless, virus or no virus. It is something Reek, a business intelligence developer at a local credit union, tried to keep in mind as she went through the admittedly uncomfortable task of soliciting contributions. It's harder for those people to give obviously but it also feels harder to ask, she said. Charitable giving by individuals has dipped in recent years even during a boom economy thanks in part to a change in the tax code. While the stimulus package Congress passed in March created a $300 tax break for charitable giving, nonprofits of all sizes are anticipating a hit at the same time the need for aid is becoming greater than ever. I keep thinking of Rocky, where he takes the hits and keeps moving forward, said James Kane, a senior manager of community development for the American Cancer Society's Northeast region. Some days it's going to be a step forward and two steps backward, but, at the end of the day the work we do hasn't become less important. Our mission hasn't stopped because cancer hasn't stopped. In response to the pandemic, the American Cancer Society established the first Lakes to Bay 5K. The virtual run is a relay that started around the Finger Lakes in New York on May 11th and will wrap up on the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland on May 31st. Runners who pay the $20 registration fee are encouraged to take a picture during their respective legs and share it on social media as a way to replicate in some small way the sweaty, giddy camaraderie of an actual road race. Proceeds will help the Society's COVID-19 Response Fund, which is focused on operational expenses like keeping a 24-7 cancer helpline active. Kane is heartened by the initial response but also wary of the bumpy path ahead. How do you keep people motivated when they are wondering what's going to happen with their job, their family? He said. Work applied for and received federal aid from the Paycheck Protection Program so its staff of nine could keep at it while fearing a COVID-19 spike in Haiti over this summer. The Susan G. Komen Foundation, which raises tens of millions annually for the fight against breast cancer through events like the three-day walk and various races for the cure across the country, is considering taking some of its 60 affiliates in-house in an attempt to cut expenses. There's pain involved, there's job loss, Foundation President and CEO Paula Schneider said. But we have to put Komen first. Schneider described the three-day event as the heart and soul of the organization and it has been cancelled this year, a huge blow to peer-to-peer -peer fundraising. 
Schneider said she is confident that because of the often personal relationship between participants and breast cancer, be they survivors or caregivers or family members, the support will return. Still, even as parts of the nation open back up, she is unsure whether the 30 spring fundraising events that were pushed to this fall will actually take place. Who knows what will happen 120 days from now, she said. Reek plans to be there whenever work returns to Haiti. If it's next year, fine. If it's not, she plans to bring attention to the organization's mission in whatever small way she can. While she didn't get to spend eight days on the island meeting the family's work is helping, she did get to run 20 of the 200 miles with her dog Reese. She did get to hug her boyfriend at the end. She still raised money for something that has come to mean a great deal. Maybe there's a metaphor in there between the training required to complete the run across Haiti, or any race for that matter, and what the nation is currently going through. We run long distances because we're good being at uncomfortable for a while, Reek said. Being uncomfortable is okay. That's how you break through barriers. Anything I can do, I'm going to continue to do. And that concludes our daily charity podcast. This podcast was hosted by Wenity. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for the latest charity news.